The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you urgent news. This just in. Breaking news, EJ. The Carolina Panthers watched the episode that we just put out like two days ago, predicting their season, previewing their season, and decided, oh shit, Brett thinks we're going to be the worst team in the league. We got to do something about this. And so they so graciously uh, completely upended the apple cart. Luckily, before today's show, we were able to record this and react to them trading for Baker Mayfield just in time for the NFC South as a whole recap show. Uh, so we're kind of sliding this into the very beginning of the show. The main kind of meat of it we already recorded, what, like a week ago at this point. Uh, but we, we could not go this entire week without at least addressing the Baker Mayfield trade. In terms of the terms of the trade, it was for a 2024 conditional fifth round pick, which is almost nothing, that will become a fourth rounder if he plays 70% of the offensive snaps, which probably will. Um, what's interesting, though, is that Baker basically paid $3.5 million to leave Cleveland. He took a $3.5 million pay cut in total. Uh, the Browns are paying 10.5 of his salary. The Panthers agreed to pay $5 million of his salary. And then Baker, again, shaved off that $3.5 million from the total. So uh, he, he basically just gave up millions of dollars to leave Cleveland and go get a chance to play somewhere else. Even though, at the moment of recording this, knowing the NFL, you never know what's going to happen next tomorrow morning. But uh, at the moment of recording this, it's looking like the, the new Browns starting quarterback might not actually start at all this season and baker is still saying ah sucks for you peace um not that the browns leadership wanted him around anymore anyway but i just i find it interesting that the browns kind of basically tossed him out of the building in not so many words and they still might not even get to get to use the quarterback they did all this for in the first place meanwhile baker's going to go to carolina try to restart his career there is it fair of me to say that nobody won here? Completely fair. This is turning out to be a really expensive debacle for, you know, it's just a complete mess for the Browns. And it's really, really costly at this point. If you look at the terms of the dollars, dollars they had to eat the fact that they are not going to as of right now have a starting quarterback it's going to be the Jacoby Brissett show most likely um, 
all the ill will that they have generated in their own building, in their own fan base around the league, which is sizable. I think they must have underestimated that or they just flat didn't care. Either way, it's not insignificant. And I'm not surprised. This is my not surprise face that Baker paid three and a half million dollars to leave. This is a a pride fueled athlete. Always has been. Um, Has a strong belief in himself and them telling him that they were even looking at this possibility was probably enough for a guy like that to fracture the relationship and say, what do you mean? I, I put everything out there for you on the field. I played with my shoulder hanging on by a couple of threads and you're telling me that you're, you know, flirting with somebody that might not even play next year. And you're going to maybe ever or maybe ever, which, you know, we're not going to get into that because that's a whole nother podcast or series of podcasts (laughs) that would be was a huge slight for a guy like baker mayfield who is uh like i said pride fuel pride based he runs on belief in himself always has and that was probably enough to push him over the edge the fact that they actually did it was too much that was the point of no return he wasn't coming back anyways I firmly believe that even if they'd said, hey, look, there's a starting spot for you here because our new golden boy, the richest contract ever, isn't going to touch the field. Why don't you why don't you just come back and play for us? It's best. It's in your best interest. He, I think, still would have thumbed his nose and said, not on your life. Like, I'd rather sit because that just seems to be who he is. And I I can't fault him for that in this particular situation. A lot of times I would say, ah, oh, come on, you know, take the, take the best opportunity that's in front of you. In this particular case, I, I wouldn't have either. So best on him to go to Carolina. Yeah, Carolina listened to our episode, took one, one listen to our thought for their prospects and went, whoop, time to make a trade. We can't go into the season with just that. So it's a better option for them, unfortunately, It's not really a great landing spot for Baker either because all the things, many of the things that we said in the Panthers episode are still true. Matt rules pretty much solidly on the hot seat. Um, It's an organization that doesn't seem to have its ideals in lockstep between ownership, GM, coach, scheme, identity. Uh, So he's better than any starting option they have, but it's still a pretty tenuous situation. So he basically, I think, looks at this as a one-year shot. It's like a rehab assignment. He can he can rehabilitate his career image, hopefully his his health as well, because he's been very banged up, and you know make the best out of what is not a great situation in Carolina, and not have to deal with his former employer, which I think was the the paramount importance here. What I found painful on the Carolina side of things. So their their quarterback room right now is Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and Matt Corral. The assets that they gave up to assemble that quarterback room. Yep. A second round pick, a third round pick, two fourth round picks, a fifth round pick, and a sixth round pick. Yep. To get there. And I, I I actually am a fan of Baker Mayfield. I, I don't see him as like a top tier quarterback, but I, I do think he can be an effective starter for you when he's healthy. Yep. Um, you know, Sam Darnold unfortunately never really turned into what we hoped he would or even what we thought he could at the beginning of last year. To give up that many assets 
and only maybe have an effective quarterback, not even a great quarterback. That's painful for the Panthers. It really is. And I'm going to keep going back to it. We love J.C. Horn. (laughs) I had a monster grade on J.C. Horn. Best DB prospect, in my opinion, since Jalen Ramsey. And before he got hurt last year, he was proving that. He was phenomenal. There are a lot of quarterbacks on the board, and they took a corner. Even after we were pretty sure that they still needed a quarterback, regardless of the investment they were making in Sam Darnold. It's inexcusable. It really is. And I don't know if that came from ownership. I don't know if that came from GM. Because even looking at the Brown side of things, we know for... We know in good authority that the Deshaun Watson decision was more from ownership than it was from GM and coach. That that wasn't really their style. It was definitely ownership's style. Maybe a similar thing happened in Carolina where the owner decided to make a decision that was not in best interest of the franchise. I'm not entirely sure. But it's also not unheard of for owners to do that, to basically mandate something, tank their own roster, and then the people that get fired for it are the ones that have to execute those decisions that ownership makes in the first place. It's it's just unfortunate looking at what was on the board and what could have been all in the name of, of getting a corner, which even if we love that corner, I'm sorry, a corner can never, ever move the needle like an effective young quarterback can. And I think... If Mac Jones keeps doing what we think he's going to be doing, and if Justin Fields keeps doing what we hope he can do, he flashed a lot of talent last year, and even if Davis Mills ends up doing what he's doing, I think that we're going to look back at that pick and be like, hmm, that one stings. I think we already look back at it that way, and it's irregardless of hindsight, right? It doesn't matter how those guys work out or not when you are a franchise in the nfl and you do not have a quarterback and i think it was fairly clear that they did not have a quarterback if they'd gotten lucky and darnold had blossomed into the best possible version of himself the the three game starting version of himself and was able to sustain that they would have two good young quarterbacks who were not particularly expensive from a salary sense, uh, from a draft pick sense, as you just uh, outlined, that's it's horrendously expensive at this point, but they would have had two. And that's a great problem to have. If you don't have one, you have to do everything you can to get one. And it usually is not the first thing you do. Even if you trade up and get a guy, odds are won't be the one. Even if you trade for an existing quarterback, a lot of times they don't work out for whatever reason. Doesn't mean you stop. You cannot stop because if you don't have one, you have no hope in this league. So when you talk about malpractice for the franchise, the Panthers sitting there with a high single-digit pick with quarterbacks on the board and taking a corner when they did not have a quarterback that they knew was their cornerstone to build on, is a mistake. It doesn't matter if Mac Jones played well or poorly. It doesn't matter if Justin Fields never turns out, right? You have to roll the dice until you get one, and they didn't, and they will always have that held over their heads no matter how good J.C. Horn is. I think he's going to be good no matter how good the other quarterbacks are. If they bomb out, it, it, 
you know, there's no <laughs> Carolina fans who go, see, see, if we'd picked him, it would have been terrible. I'm like, yeah, and you still don't have a quarterback. So where are we at with that one? <laughs> I think um, overall, though, I just I, I like what Baker Mayfield can be when he's healthy and when he has competent coaching, which I know are two big ifs. We've seen healthy Baker with bad coaching, and we've seen healthy Baker with good coaching. Healthy Baker with good coaching is the only time where I was like, yes, this can work. But that was also literally only one year of his career. So we have to hope that we can get back to that little 2020 window of time where there was a mix of good supporting cast, good coaching, and healthy shoulder. If all of those three, three things happen in Carolina, yeah, this can work. It could absolutely work. But he will never be the kind of quarterback that will overcome less than stellar coaching or overcome less than stellar supporting cast. And I think that's that's just what he is. And again, you can win with guys like that. Um, but I still am just not 100% sold that the supporting cast or the coaches around him are of the quality that the Browns had in 2020. That's the elephant in the room. And we need to talk about it because Baker can be healthy. And when he's healthy, he needs to be healthy. Let's put that out there. He can be healthy. And when he's healthy, he can be a good mid-tier starter. He can win you games in the NFL. In order to do that, because of what you just said, he has to have coaches who are willing to put him in the best position to succeed scheme-wise. The scheme that Carolina has run for the last two seasons offensively to this point is not that. Mm -hmm. They are 100% going to have to flex to adjust their offense if they want it to be successful with Baker. We'll just say a healthy Baker. Even if he's healthy and they keep the same scheme, his chance for success is extremely low. They need to flex, and they haven't shown a great willingness or ability to do that. And that's the sort of looming thing here is there's the shoulder health, talk about the money and the draft assets and everything else. Let's say he's healthy. Let's say he's ready to go. He's obviously motivated. If the coaches sort of stick and stay, it won't work. And, you know, there will be some highlights, but overall it won't work, and they're going to burn the whole thing down anyways and basically start over. So they're going to have to flex, and that's the one I'm most worried about. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure they can. I'm not sure they will, and the result will be the same. When people ask, okay, well, what is that scheme that you're referring to? Well, it's literally what, you know, Kevin Stefanski was doing uh, with Baker in Cleveland. It's it's a lot of play action. It's a lot of bootlegs, things that get him out of the pocket because he's a little bit shorter of a quarterback. He actually throws more. He, he's, he's more comfortable of a thrower. And it sounds weird to say this. When he's on the move and running, in particular uh, to his right, he's really, really good to his right. He got better at throwing to his left um, before he got hurt. Um but I think that if you emphasize wide zone run game, bootlegs, all that kind of stuff, that's really that's really where things click with him. Because if you're going to take shots with him, it's got to be off play action. In terms of all the other stuff, again, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, RPOs, quick game, all that kind of shit. And then once safeties start to come down and, uh, and they don't feel as comfortable, you know, um, fitting the run unless they're maxed out with a, with a down safety – 
that's when again you start hitting them with those deep shots on play action. It's it's the oldest Shanahan, and I'm talking Mike Shanahan style <laughs> progression of play calling. Let's be specific about our Shanahans at this point. Because uh, uh, you know, this Shanahan no, you're right. tree, in, in addition to the John Gruden tree, because they're all kind of one and the same at the very top back there, um, they've been doing that shit for decades and decades and decades. And it, they've been doing it because it works. And, you know, people consider that like the most quarterback friendly system in the league because the quarterback doesn't have to do everything. And so I really want to see Carolina lean into that. Luckily, they made some personnel acquisitions. You look at um, the tackle they took at the very top, Ike Mekwanu. Guess who just so happens to be one of the best blocking offensive tackles in a wide zone system that I've seen in the last few years? There you go. So they are they are set up to do it. They do have some pieces to do it. They just have to commit to it. I agree that the talent is there. It's not a talent issue. There's enough talent there to win with that scheme, but they cannot be stubborn about scheme and say, Baker, you're going to have to become something you're not. Because at this point in his career, he's not going to do that. He is not going to morph into a very different guy than he's been in the past. He is a known known at this point. And they're going to have to come to him, not the other way around. And I'm not sure that'll occur. If it doesn't, I don't have high hopes for this. And people ask me on Twitter, does this does this move the needle for the Panthers? I think it does in terms of a game or two sort of automatically just over what they had because Matt Corral we really like, but he's a rookie and rookies struggle. Baker's an experienced player at this point. If he comes in healthy, yeah, I think they could probably win a game or two just on experience. But if they don't make that sort of functional shift to set him up scheme-wise to win, it doesn't really move the needle in the big scheme of things, and they will probably end up burning it down at the end of the year anyways. Matt Rule will be gone, and they will be looking for a quarterback because Baker is good enough to win if everything's right. He is not good enough, as you said, in any scheme to sort of elevate everybody around him and and carry them be the the truck not the trailer if we're using dj's analogy so uh, you know i want to see that happen because there's a lot of players we like on carolina we talked about all those in this episode or sorry in monday's episode i they're not going to succeed either if that shift doesn't get made well what a way to start the NFC South episode. Uh, now we're going to cut back to everything else that we recorded a long time ago, making <laughs> predictions for this division. Uh, not a whole lot changed, so we didn't redo the episode because, quite frankly, I'm not entirely sure that Mayfield's acquisition moves the needle so much that it's going to change who we're picking for division winner and division MVP and rookie of the year and all that kind of stuff. All that stuff stays the same. Uh, so we decided to just roll with what we recorded before. And uh, with that, let's get to it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And... Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. And it is NFC South wrap-up day. We've taken uh, uh, last four days in a row, doing roughly four hours of content, one hour individually per team, going over every single move this division has made on a micro level. Today, taking a step back, looking at it from a macro sense, you know, who are the main additions? Who are, uh, you know, predictions for MVP of the division, rookie of the year for the division, uh, obviously division predictions for who's making the playoffs, who's winning the division, all that kind of stuff. So uh, kind of a macro episode today for the NFC South as a whole and how every team stacks up together. But before we get into all that, EJ, buddy, how you doing? What are you drinking tonight? I'm great. We're capping off week two. Uh, week one, uh, you know, we, we had it all in the can when we recorded this. We released a couple of them out onto the world, and they've been pretty well received, so that feels good. Uh, so we're just going to keep driving. Uh, what I'm drinking is not so important, but what I'm drinking it out of is important. So uh, Fitzy, who's an absolute gem, one of our patrons, uh, sent me this awesome Aussie Rules football koozie because he sees I use a koozie every week. And uh, he's a fan of the Bulldogs, who apparently won the premiership in uh, 2016. And so to commemorate that, uh, he sent me this awesome koozie. So here's to you, Fitzy. But uh, inside's just seltzer, nothing fancy. What do you have? Uh, I have coffee because I have to do two podcast episodes tonight and a film room episode, and I have to record an ad read. So uh, late <laughs> night for me on a Tuesday <laughs> night. So I'm going to get all nice and jacked up on caffeine, but with pleasantries out of the way, EJ, let's get to it. Uh, NFC South, full kind of macro recap from last year. Bucks, obviously, at the top once again. Uh, no surprise when Tom Brady shows up to a division. Generally, he's going to win it. They finished 13 and four. The Saints narrowly missed the playoffs at nine and eight. They were in position all the way up to the last week of the season, just couldn't quite sneak in there. They they needed some help to get in, didn't quite get everything they needed, but they were surprisingly not a pushover relative to the amount of injuries they sustained. So credit to them for staying in it to the end. Falcons uh, both had a rough year and also probably outperformed expectations. At the same time, uh, finished at seven and ten. They had some really interesting wins, some really crushing losses in typical Falcons fashion, where uh, by the end of the year, we didn't really know what to do with them. <laughs> and I still, on some level, don't quite know what to do with them now. But year by year, we just hope for improvement. And then the Panthers uh, started out super hot, started out looking like a slam dunk for the playoffs, and then completely fell off a cliff, ended up finishing at five and twelve. Tampa obviously won the division. They were the only team to make it uh, to the playoffs out of this division. But, because we like to talk about you know, carrying momentum, they were not the only team to go 4-1 and one in their last five. As I mentioned, the Saints also went 4-1 and one in their last five. So I think both teams are primed and ready to come back this year and make another run at it. And maybe we see some improvement from Atlanta or Carolina. But uh, overall, I... I I think this division's a little bit closer than maybe people give it credit. The top three could change spots, not substantively. We'll talk about that as we keep going. We we both think that Tampa's probably going to stay there, is best positioned to stay there. 
there's going to be some shifting with Atlanta. They brought in a lot of talent. We talked about that in the episode with Atlanta. In terms of relative to their divisional brethren, uh, they might steal some. They're going to be a tougher out. Um, New Orleans changed at the top. Their run at the end of the season, 4-1, and one, a two-win streak uh, out of that 4-1 and one, you know, overall five-game finish was really impressive work by Sean Payton on his way out the door. And they didn't have that much turnover. Again, we talked about this in the Saints episode. That staff is very stable. Everybody that is there has been there. It's not a real sort of shifting of the guard, but they are going to have to figure out things like where they're going to get points on offense. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see them and the Falcons jockey back and forth to really play spoiler to the Bucs for the most part. And the Panthers need a miracle. The Panthers need a lot of things to work out. Um, most folks are approaching this as a lame duck year for, for Matt rule and his staff. And I don't know that that's wrong. It, it might not happen, but I would say that would be the most miraculous outcome. If that occurs, if Carolina, you know, seriously claws its way out of the basement and, and threatens anybody for anything, um, that's going to be probably the biggest news in the division because they feel like they have the longest way to go right now might be the biggest news in the conference yeah it could if they, be if they make a legit push i mean yeah. i know the nfc is not as competitive as the afc but just looking at the last half of last year man if carolina turns it around in a span of nine months from what we just saw at the end of the 2021 season uh that would be one of the storylines of the year for me to put it bluntly the, the uh, only a, thing that has my hopes up for that and and it doesn't have them very high is that matt uh, rule has third year magic <laughs> weirdly yes because yeah. we saw a similar kind of thing at baylor although the, the second year of baylor the second year like better <laughs> more hopeful than the second year in carolina but third year in baylor yeah. i think they went like 10 and 3 yeah and, i think uh, they and yeah. made the postseason yeah for sure and and we're strong from there so He's got a history of doing that, but yeah, there was there were more signs of life in previous stops during year two than what we saw last year. We saw a first month that looked pretty good. I I took the bait, right? I bit the hook. I was like, see, see, Sam Darnold can whoa, oh no, oh oh oh, make it stop. Uh, so yeah, that that was not a hopeful end. If you're looking for momentum. Carolina did not carry any 0-5 in their last five. Still looking for an answer at quarterback. Um, just just a tough, tough run. Looking at notable free agency or trade additions for each team. Again, if you kind of want like really, really in-depth analysis for all these moves, you can go watch the individual team episodes. We're doing an hour per team on average, so there's there's a lot of meat there. But high-level in case, you know, maybe you only watched half the episodes, you're going to kind of get to it eventually, and you want the Cliff Notes version. In terms of most important players added per team, Carolina on offense, picking up Austin Corbett to man the interior, big for them, big for that offense. Uh, Xavier Woods and Matt Ioannidis were two key additions on defense, especially Ioannidis, who did play for Matt Rule in college as well. Uh, He'll probably be if I had to guess the Morgan Fox replacement as like a, a five slash four I type guy in their base defense package, um, when they want to go, you know, kind of like a five, two look, Matt Ioannidis will be in there. 
Um, Atlanta, Marcus Mariota brought in to presumably be the starting quarterback for now. Brian Edwards, uh, if they're down big and need somebody to get 100 yards in the fourth quarter and only the fourth quarter, he's their guy. And Casey Hayward, a veteran mercenary corner who just goes from team to team and for whatever reason is effective regardless of the situation he's in. Every uh, year. Every year you can count on him. He's like the Brandon Cooks of corners. It's like just shows up, does his job, is effective no matter what. Uh, New Orleans, they added Jarvis Landry on offense to be their new slot receiver extraordinaire. Uh, Marcus May and Tyron Matthew are their new safety duo that they got for a bargain. If you want more expansion on that, again, go watch the Saints episode because the amount of money they spent after the amount of money they saved, uh, pretty incredible work by Mickey Loomis there once again. And then Tampa, (laughs) rich get richer. This is kind of the theme of this section, which is Tampa was already the best team in the division. And they also probably had the best free agency period too. Uh, in terms of trading for Shaq Mason for only a fifth-round pick, which is insane. They got Russell Gage for, quote-unquote, only $10 million a year, I think it was, which in the yep. current wide receiver market is very, very good. Akeem Hicks took, in my opinion, a discount to go there and uh, be added to that defensive line rotation. He could still do it. He could still play at a very high level. And Logan Ryan also brought in... Um, Probably going to be a full-time safety for them, but in a pinch, could also play nickel if he really needs to. Overall, uh, very much a rich-get-richer situation with these additions, and I I still think Tampa is in the pole position here. No reason to think they aren't. Uh, out of those groups, which, again, is just the free agency additions, there's no contest in terms of who they brought in. Those are... You know, you look at that list and it kind of builds as you go through it, right? It almost matches the divisional finish order. Um, you know, worst to worst to first as we started with the Panthers. And, you know, Austin, nothing against Austin Corbett. He's a good player, but, like, that's it. That's the notable player that Carolina brought in on offense and free agency. Um, Xavier Woods played a ton of snaps, but is he, a, you know, is he a difference maker? No, he's a very solid player, good player. I think uh, a good bargain for Carolina. Is he somebody that's going to turn the division in their favor? Like, no, they're counting on Jeremy yeah. Chin to do that at safety, but – in terms of just free agency, yeah, you look at Shaq Mason, Russell Gage, Akeem Hicks, Logan Ryan, and how they got those players, right? Shaq Mason for a fifth. Akeem Hicks in the, what, fifth wave of free agency? They just waited and waited. Nobody picked him up, and they were like, sure, we'll take him because we'll use him, right? Again, is he great for 900 snaps at this point in his career? Not if you want him to stay healthy. Can he absolutely wreck people for 500? Yep. Sure can. Yep. <laughs> so really, really, really good reload, if you even want to call it that, for a team that, you know, looked like they had another shot at the Super Bowl. Now, in terms of notable rookies, again, this is not the entire draft class for each team, but these are just kind of the the picks we liked the most on offense and defense for them. Um, I think all of them, in their own way, had a strong draft, <coughs> but I would say that if I had to pick one, it would, it would be Atlanta. Going through one by one, Carolina, top picks on offense and defense. Obviously, Ikemekwanu uh, as a top 10 pick at tackle or in a pinch could play guard, but it sounds like he's going to be a tackle for them. Knocked it out of the park there. Matt Corral, maybe, possibly quarterback of the future. We'll see. Uh, I'm not going to rule anything out, but hey, it's a third round pick, so if he doesn't work out, who gives a shit? Uh, Brandon Smith, 
Again, very high upside. Uh, you could label him in the boomer bust category, but he's so damn athletic. One of the most athletic linebacker prospects ever, where if he booms, it's all pro caliber boom. Um, Atlanta, which was my favorite draft class. Drake London absolutely knocked it out of the park. And then Desmond Ritter, which they got on day two. Again, potentially quarterback of the future. I personally had a, a better grade on Desmond Ritter coming out of Cincinnati than I did on Matt Corral. So I don't want to say I have like more faith in Desmond Ritter to be the guy of the future. But I do think uh, potentially he might be in a better situation than, say, Matt Corral is to eventually be a guy. Uh, Arnold Ebikidi, you and I both were obsessed with him. They got him on day two, which I thought he should have been a day one pick. Could very easily see him being a defensive rookie of the year candidate immediately for the entire league. And then uh, D'Angelo Malone, also a value pick, who was uh, fourth round, if I recall correctly. I think they got him fourth round. Uh, Yeah. Might have been third. No, I believe it was fourth. I will look it up. Uh, while you do that, New Orleans, uh, Chris Olave, EJ's favorite human being on planet Earth. They got him in the first round, as well as Trevor Penning, who we are trusting that Duke Mannyweather fixed his issue with speed rushes, because Duke Mannyweather is one of the best offensive line coaches also on planet Earth. If anybody could fix him, it's him. Uh, Alante Taylor, very, very gifted DB prospect, who's probably going to play corner for them, not safety. Sounds like he's going to be corner. Big physical as all hell um has the attitude to match plays with that dog in him we love to see it uh and then tampa also again very strong draft for them the luka decky uh for offensive line depth rashad white one of my favorite running backs in this entire class they picked him up uh kate otten who was i think my te2 te3 at worst uh in my tight end rankings i love him to be their new y tight end especially now that gronk has retired logan hall Again, another guy who's going to be added to the interior defensive line rotation and learn under Akeem Hicks. Great mentor for him. And Zion McCollum, who's just an absolute uh, fucking freak of nature. And if they can do anything with him, uh, it's worth it because he's exceptionally talented as a DB. Yeah, D'Angelo Malone was a third, uh, later third, 82 uh, in a pick they got from the Colts. It's on the fringe, yeah. He's he's getting there, but um, lasted... Longer than a lot of people thought he might early in the process. Going back to Carolina, Kamakwanu, I think it was a great pick. It was what they needed. You know, he can he can settle in and be a high level starter for them at a position of need. Matt Corral is a roll of the dice. Uh Desmond Ritter, I think, is more mature as a quarterback um on the field. But I think his variance is less. Mm-hmm. So Corral's highs are higher, lows are a little bit lower, and he tends to swing more between those. Um, I tended to like his highs and think you need a quarterback that can push it and will push it. Um, there were quarterbacks in this class that even though they can, they don't. And that's harder to teach, quite frankly. If somebody will not let it off the chain when you have a guy in one on one coverage, with leverage, that's a problem in this league. Uh, college open is not NFL open, and Corral will let it go. When he sees that guy, he has enough confidence to, to let it off the chain and see if he can make a play, and he's going to need that. doesn't mean he's always going to do it, and there's more boomer bust, 
Uh, but if he hits, again, like you said, third-round pick, it's not the end of the world. And if things go the way many people think they will in Carolina this year, they're going to be resetting the decks anyway as they're probably going to end up with a high pick and choose a quarterback with a new coaching staff. So, you know, Matt Corral could carve himself out a nice nice role as a backup in that case anyways. It's kind of a no-lose pick. Drake London, yeah. Atlanta's got a huge receiving core now. They've got Kyle Pitts. They've got Drake London. Uh, they have a lot of tall guys they could just throw it up to. Uh, Cordero Patterson out in the pattern. That guy's 6'4". Um, it's going to be tough matchup-wise, especially down in the red zone when you can line up three guys that are 6'4", 6'5", all very athletic, and say, yeah, okay, pick, <laughs> pick two. You can't cover all three of them. So I love that pick from that. And he's got enough athleticism. You can see the basketball player in him. So while he's learning, while he's fleshing out his route tree, while he's learning what works against NFL corners down the field, you can toss him screens. You can put him in jet sweeps, orbit motion, get the ball in his hands, and just let him juke people. And he'll do it. He'll pick up yards that way. Abe Katie, we'll talk about him a little bit later. Uh, I have high hopes for him. D'Angelo Malone, again, I think underrated. And as a situational rusher, which he probably will be in Atlanta, it's a really good starting place for him to to bring his one or two tricks in and try and add a third trick uh, and work himself into a more well-rounded player. Olave, favorite human on the planet. I don't know. I, I think... One of my favorite receivers in this draft very easily. And a guy I think will contribute as a rookie again because he has positional flexibility, meaning as a wide receiver, he has played X, he has played Y, he's played slot. He, you know, he he's everywhere. They used him inside. They used him outside. He was sort of plastic man for OSU when Jackson Smith and Jigba started just crushing everybody this year he at least on the field he looked egoless about it he was like great i'm going to be a third option on that play behind garrett wilson and jackson smith and jigba cool i'll you know i'll run short slants all day and see if i can break them um there wasn't any no no i'm an outside receiver i'm gonna pound the table and say i you need to throw me the ball down the field so wherever the saints choose to use him in his rookie year he's going to be effective i think they'll start him outside but if they need to kick him inside on a given play, he can stay on the field, which is tremendous. Trevor Penning, tremendously athletic, and we talked about it in the Saints episode. Their offensive line staff has a very good history with athletic, somewhat raw offensive line prospects, especially tackles. Um, so I would say one of the best possible landing spots for Mr. Penning. Alante Taylor gets to sit behind Paulson Adebo. Enough said. Like very similar very similar body styles, a little less fluidity in Alante Taylor's game than Paulson and Debo, but he can say, look, I can I can figure out the the three things out of the five things in that guy's game who was very successful as a rookie that I can do, mimic that, and I will be a very valuable piece in the secondary. Um, Tampa Bay, Rashad White, I really love that pick. Don't think he'll start. They re-signed Leonard Fournette for decent money. He's very familiar. Tom likes his familiarity with running backs, especially, but I think Rashad White will earn some playing time because he's very good in the passing game, exceptionally smooth in the running game, and gives them something they've been looking for. They keep sort of importing running backs, looking for that it's not Leonard Fournette piece, and I think Rashad White does that beautifully. 
Kate Otten, we both like. He was my TE5, but right at the top of Tier 2 behind the 4 in, in Tier 1. Great opportunity now that Gronk's out of the building for him to really show his skills and show that he was more than what they used him at um, while he was at Washington, that he has more capability, and the passing game really didn't exploit all of his strengths, but you could see them on certain reps. So I'm excited to see that in Tampa Bay. Logan Hall ascended near the end of the season his game against Cincinnati is the one you want to watch if you want to get excited about Logan Hall as a sort of penetrating three tech and Zion McCollum fits Tampa Bay's niche for corners and defensive backs they want them big they want them strong they want them physical and it just so happens that Zion McCollum is also dead fast (laughs) not all of not all of tampa's defensive backs are are as fast as him but they like him big and strong and in your face and he fits that mold gorgeously so again it sort of feels like there's a bunch of good drafts here but tampa's is if not tied for the top like right there and you add that to what they already had in their base roster their free agency hall and then the draft class on top of it and you're like they're not going anywhere (laughs) Uh, Storylines and questions. We kind of have like a one sentence, either question or elevator pitch or narrative, whatever you want to call it. Basically, the one main through line for each team in this division for this season. The one thing you need to watch. So I'll start off. We'll kind of do one after another. We'll start from the top of the division down. Tampa Bay, despite you know, really kind of being up against it in terms of cap space the last couple of years. They have managed to be just like the Saints in that money is a figment of the imagination. They have managed to keep the core mostly together. Uh, they have extended who they need to extend. You know, they've been great at maneuvering. They've been great at adding other cheap veteran talent that want to come to Tampa Bay and try to get a ring. Um, you know, obviously the, the Akeem Hickses of the world, the, you know, Russell Gage, I think probably could have got more money on the open market. I mean, if Christian Kirk got 18 something, Russell Gage could have got more than what he got. Uh, you know, they were able to pull off a trade for Shaq Mason. They have done really well at reloading despite having not the most resources in the league. Can they make that work and make another run and be able to get back on top over, you know, all of the Titans in the NFC West, um, you know, over Green Bay, who, despite losing Devontae Adams, still a threat. Can they do this again twice within three seasons? Feels like all or nothing in Tampa Bay. I think anything short of a really strong push for the Super Bowl, not the playoffs, just making the playoffs is not near enough with Brady as your quarterback in this roster. And again, what is largely a returning coaching staff? Yes, the head coach turned over, but the new head coach is from inside the organization. It really feels like Super Bowl or bust. And a lot of that hangs on Tom and his ability, legendary ability, to keep a team focused and motivated and not give an inch throughout the season. No easy games given up. It's really about whether he can keep playing at this exceptionally insanely high level at his age and every year we keep waiting for the wheels to fall off we keep waiting for his arm to get soft in december it just doesn't happen so is this the year that brady's bill like finally comes due or 
you know, they catch a freak injury because I really don't feel like who they have as backup quarterbacks could carry them to that destination, to the doorstep of the Super Bowl with a chance to win it. It's It really comes down to Tom. If Tom stays in and Tom stays healthy, this team will be there. It you just There's no way I will bet against that. If something fluky happens, he starts to fall off physically or he gets hurt, uh, they're still very talented. They're going to win a bunch of games, and it's still going to feel like a disappointment. I'm thinking that divisional game against the Rams last year, I think we see that again this year, but in the NFC Championship game. I think those are from top to bottom, the two strongest programs in the conference. And I'm I'm thinking that Tom is at least going to be in the final four, if not the final two, because it's fucking Tom Brady. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Saints, they're kind of main through line for this year. Can Dennis Allen and Jameis mirror the success of the Peyton and Breeze combination? I'll answer first. Offensively, no. In terms of team success, I do think that Dennis Allen is a really good coach. I think that Jameis has improved at quarterback since he got there. Um, I think, you know, in his short time that he was with Sean Payton, I I think he actually did a pretty good job of kind of, I don't want to say like rewiring how his brain worked, but he did seem to not have so many YOLO passes uh, in, in that offense. And I think the continuity of the coaching staff, other than Payton, is good for Jameis. It's still same OC that it's always been, same system, same language more weapons now because he's got Jarvis he's got Alave Michael Thomas maybe coming back um at least we hope coming back so I I do think that you know in terms of offensive output they're not going to match prime Sean Payton and Drew Brees because almost nobody ever will in terms of team success i.e you're you're getting to the playoffs and from there you're a threat to everybody there yeah, I still think they're going to have that same level of team success where you get them to January, they've got a legitimate shot. Out of all the teams that the Bucks should be scared of, it's the Saints. It's absolutely the Saints because, <laughs> weirdly enough, you know when the last time the Bucks beat the Saints was in the regular season, regardless of who their quarterback was, whether it was Jameis, Tom, anybody, you know when the last time they beat them in the regular season? Nope, no idea. September of 2018. They've got their number. They have, it feels like forever. I mean, that feels like a very long time in the what have you done for me lately NFL. You're talking, you know, years. And it feels kind of like that's their identity now, not just for the books, right? Is to be the team in the NFC that's a little bit dark horse, not, you know, not worse to first. Obviously, they finished second in the division last year. But just everybody kind of thinks, oh, they've got enough, but you know, it's a nine-win team, it's a ten-win team, and it's just the Saints' job to come in and kind of tip your apple cart over and be like, nope, defense <laughs> is still really hard to play against. And if it's a week, like you said, where Jameis is on and it's that long ball Jameis and they're getting you know some big connections and Kamara's getting loose and that offensive line is is really hurting people, which they have the ability to do, like if that comes together, they feel like they can beat anybody in the NFC on a given week. What they don't do is do it every week, right? It yeah. it doesn't feel inevitable with them. It feels like, oh, this is one of those weeks the Saints came to play. Watch out. And then other weeks, oh, the Saints should be rolling over these guys and they're getting beat by 15. You know, they've got three turnovers. 
you know, the defense is on the field too long. Like it feels like they play more than their fair share of those games per season. And the end result is, yeah, a nine or 10 win team with some dominant wins where they rolled over Brady and the Bucks, and you're like, they can beat anybody. And then, you know, maybe the next week they, they don't do it. So they're the definition of a team that can take down any contender and also lose to any bottom feeder in a two week period. Nothing surprises me with them, which is why I basically don't bet on the Saints because you really <laughs> never know what you're going to get. They're the Steelers of the NFC. It's like, okay, yeah, they'll beat Buffalo week one, and then they'll get absolutely destroyed you know, yeah. by Cincinnati the next week. You know, So you never know what you're going to get. Um, all right, Atlanta, main storyline here. How long can Mariota hold off Ritter with this newly minted uh, towering receiving core uh, I think that's it's less a function of Mariota's ability I think if he's healthy he could potentially start the whole year hmm. the thing is I don't trust him to be healthy I think we get five or six weeks into this thing just based on his you know history coming into the league was it 2015 so we've got like a seven ish year sample size there was a couple of years as a backup but you know in all of the years where he was exposed to a lot of snaps as a starter he eventually got hurt pretty much every single time. So I think healthy Marcus starts, but unhealthy Marcus will eventually show up. And at that point, Ritter's getting on the field. And once he's on the field, quite frankly, I don't think he's coming off. So I'm going to give it by week nine, Ritter starting. Not necessarily because Marcus is bad. I just don't think he's going to stay healthy. Both things you said there, I believe are true. If if Marcus is healthy and on the field, I think he has more ability, and that's what people want to see. That's the sort of – we talk about ceilings and floors, right? That's the ceiling that everybody wants to see consistently for Marcus because he does have ability. Is it top of the league ability? No. Is it solidly in the middle third and the ability to play even towards the top of that group if he's you know healthy and on the field? Yeah, he has that kind of ability. It's not consistent, and my – I don't even want to say my worry, my sort of realistic self says, and when a rookie comes onto the field in the NFL, they will struggle. It doesn't matter which rookie they are. They can show flashes, whatever, but are they going to carry a team and be that consistent force that leads them to wins? No, they're going to be learning, right? They're going to be picking up the speed of the NFL. So expecting Desmond Ritter, no matter how mature, to come on and after maybe half a season on the bench – and be a consistent force that leads Atlanta to wins is not realistic. Uh, that would be a historical outlier. Even Justin Herbert, who had a fantastic rookie season, still lost more than he won. So the only way I think Atlanta really improves this year is if Mariota stays healthy. And, you know, he already has those rookie lessons well behind him and the ability to leverage what is starting to be a really sort of tantalizing offensive core in Atlanta with a coach that understands how to build high-powered offenses, right? Had a trigger man not that much different than Mariota's skill set wise with Tannehill when he was in Tennessee and did very, very well with it. So that seems to represent their best chance, but like you, I don't think that lasts all year. And then, you know, it will go to Ritter. I doubt he comes off the field because he feels more the future than Marcus does. And that means they'll go through rookie growing pains from then on, which means they'll probably, you know, 
I don't want to say a struggle, work their way to a middle finish in the division. Um, and that may not be the most exciting thing for, for Hawks fans or Falcons fans to hear, but, you know, that seems like the most likely scenario to both of us. Now, final team here, Panthers. Uh, is this anything other than a lame duck year for Matt Rule? Will there be that third year magic that we alluded to earlier? Again, looking back to his time at Baylor, three years in, that's when everything, you know, his first recruitment, uh, recruiting classes, you know, were finally quote unquote upperclassmen. They were juniors at that point. So the talent had developed, the plan came together, 10 and three, Sugar Bowl appearance. This is, you know, the the third year for his first draft class now. Um, He's actually drafted slash signed several of his former players in college, whether he was at Temple or Baylor. Guys that have seen him do pretty epic turnarounds before. So, you know, they can they can talk to the locker room, basically say, you got you got to believe in this guy. Who knows if they'll believe it, but we'll see. Um, Is this year three magic that we have never seen before? in that going from the last 15 games of Carolina last year to this year, is this legitimately going to be a worst to competent? I won't even say first worst to competent. I don't think so. And I'm going to go right back to what I said about rookie quarterbacks. When I was talking about the Falcons, I don't think the veteran quarterbacks on this roster offer them better than a middling finish. Right. And that's based on what we've seen them do on the field. That's that's not shots at them. That's when they've had extended stretches to play in the NFL. They've been mediocre at best, uh, sometimes a lot worse than that. So Corral's the only unknown, but he's also a rookie and he's also high variance, which means mm, middling finish at best. Right. Which honestly would be the worst case scenario. Mackerel starts, you know, week three or four, gets thrown in the fire because the other options just aren't clicking and Rule and his staff start to panic and they're looking for a spark. Corral comes on and provides that spark, sometimes high, sometimes low, and they win eight, seven games. Let's say they win seven games. Then what do you do? If you're David Tepper, what do you do? Right? You got to you know, hotshot rookie quarterback that showed some flash and made people excited, you know, basically lowered your draft pick significantly and a coach who is in his third year and did average, didn't have that third year at Baylor. Like that's the worst case scenarios. Then what do you do? Do you double down? Do you re up? Do you, do you bring him back? Do you... I, I don't think he's the type of owner to do that. I think he's the type doesn't of feel like that, it that cuts bait. And just says, I'm going to, I'm going to get something better. Right. And half of the Carolina faithful are going to say, come on, you drafted him. He was just a rookie. He didn't have a chance. Like it's just the worst case scenario. It'd be much. I know this is hard to hear Panthers fans. It'd be much better if they win like three or four games and you know, whether or not Corral shows flashes, like Corral shows a whole bunch of flashes and they win three or four games. Cause maybe he didn't start until later in the year. That's probably the best case scenario. He gets some of those rookie snaps out of the way. He's available. And the next staff has some tape to evaluate him uh, under live fire. And, you know, they come in and at that point, they're probably going to pick a quarterback that they can groom on their own anyways. Cause that's typically what happens. 
But maybe they kind of take like the Davis Mills approach and say, oh, maybe maybe we've got something here and we don't need to spend a top asset on a quarterback and we can build for the other holes. I think it, you know, long story long, ends up being a lame duck year for Matt Rule. I would have expected to see more movement in year two, and it wasn't there. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Uh, all right, division predictions time. My dum, favorite dum, part dum. of the show. <laughs> so this is where we're going to be talking about division MVP, offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, offensive rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year, coach and division winner, all within the NFC South. It's not league-wide, just within the division. Now, division MVP, I'm not even going to spend any time on it because obviously Tom Brady, the GOAT, no explanation needed. He's our pick for division MVP. And yeah, nine times out of ten, he's he's going to be it. Offense player of the year. You and I differ a little bit. I, I've got uh, Christian McCaffrey under I, the presumption of health. I just saw that and I was like, well, <laughs> you can, here's you can my, rewind here's a little argument. bit. Here's yeah, my okay. argument. Go ahead. When he's healthy, he is an elite running back. Yes. One of the best in the league. Not just a two-way player, a three-way player. Health has been the issue. If... He stays healthy this year with a revamped offensive line. you got a starting five of probably Ike McQuanu, Brady Christensen, Bradley Bozeman, uh, who they brought over from Baltimore, Austin Corbett, who they got from the Rams, and Taylor Moten. That's a legitimate starting five. For sure. If Christian's healthy with an improved offensive line, especially one with the overall run-blocking prowess that that five has on paper, plus the fact that I think they're going to run the absolute shit out of the ball because <laughs> that's what Matt Rule Probably. wants to do. <laughs> And they're going to need to with their quarterback situation. I think Christian McCaffrey is going to get a lot of touches. And I think he's going to do a lot with those touches. And probably, again, health permitting, be one of the three to four most productive running backs in the entire league. Health is not going to permit him to do that, I don't think. And (laughs) I feel awful for CMC because he works as hard as anybody in the league at being healthy at keeping his body in tip-top shape, in training at the sort of top end of the performance tier. He's just one of those guys that puts in every bit of effort you could want and is snake-bitten with injuries on the field. He can't stay on the field. So what you just said about Marcus Mariota, I'm going to bring right back to Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, if he's there and healthy, yes, he can lead them. He can be their starter, their star, um, all of that. I don't think it lasts the whole year, and I'm just basing that on the fact that it never, ever does. You get these great flashes. Oh, he looks tremendous in camp. Awesome. Rips off four, five, six games. Uh, Again, great two-way player. His dad was a wide receiver, fully understands the passing game. He was one of the first running backs in the league that really had that balance that he could hurt you equally in either way. He looked just as good in routes as he did running the ball tremendous athlete but then 
the high ankle sprain, the nagging, whatever shoulder, like things just drag him down or just knock him out completely. Just not on the field. And for that reason, I, I can't do it. And if they're going to focus on it, it's even worse, right? It's better in terms <laughs> the of touches. more touches he gets right <laughs> at this point, like, Oh, they're going to run a lot. And I don't disagree. The line is built to do it. That's their major skill set. Their quarterback is not going to be like, hey, hey, you should be letting me chuck it up 50 times a game. Everybody in the building is going to be like, no, no matter which quarterback it is of the two or three they have on their roster. So, yeah, like pound the rock. Like how many touches per year? No, no, that's not a great scenario for, for Christian McCaffrey. He needs less and it for it to be impactful. And so I just don't see all those things aligning. They all sound really good on paper, and I agree with the arguments, but I think – the sort of health permitting is as far as I let the argument go before I go, Oh, I'm, I'm not putting my money on that because I don't think I'll get it back. So you are putting your money on Kyle Pitts though. So sell me on that instead. Well, I went back and forth between two wide receivers and I'm going to call Kyle Pitts a wide receiver. Sorry. Well, sorry, not sorry. He's the, (laughs) he's one of the best axes in the league. Mike Evans was my first choice with Brady, best team in the league. Gronk's gone. He'll get some more touches. Yeah. I know he's going to be splitting them with Chris Godwin, but it's like Mike Evans is hall of fame wide receiver. He's just super consistent. He's going to have the chance to have a few more touches this year, maybe a few more touchdowns, but he's just so consistent and not very loud about it that I don't feel like he's would ever draw himself enough attention to himself, he never does, he never has, that he would win something like this. And Kyle Pitts, while he is fairly quiet, or at least was fairly quiet as a rookie off the field, on the field he was super loud. <laughs> like whenever he was on the field, you knew exactly where he was because he was burning everybody. It didn't matter where they aligned him. Sometimes they aligned him deep, wide outside. He was their ex, their starting you know, alpha wide receiver. He's crushing corners. Anybody inside, complete mismatch. I think we all knew that coming into it, that he was a unicorn that was going to be very tough to cover. Yep, he's proved that. He didn't, there were no sort of like, oh, adjustment to the league issues. Like, no, he's, you know, 6'5", 6'6", runs like crazy, super athletic, great catch radius. He just kept doing it. So I'm going to say that Arthur Smith and co. have figured out what he can do and also figured out, hey, he should probably be the primary option. I don't care who else we have on the field. He should probably be the primary option on every play. And that kind of focus can lead you to a season of high productivity. And if your team does okay, if they finish in the middle, if they're not in the cellar, and you have somebody that puts up 12, 13, 1400 yards and double digit touchdowns, they're going to get attention for those awards. And so that's why I eventually lean towards Kyle Pitts. Now, speaking of falcons you and i agreed on defensive player of the year for the division that's aj terrell uh i think there's a a very easy argument to be made that he is the best corner in the league at this point um certainly on a snap-by-snap basis probably the most efficient in the league like even over jalen ramsey trey white i mean you name him like he he put up ridiculous coverage efficiency metrics last year against a lot of really, really, really good receivers. Um, if you kind of want like an expanded look at what he did, you can go watch our underrated players episode. He was kind of the poster child for it. Even though he got second team all pro, he's still underrated in our view because he should have got first team all pro. Um, 
He didn't because a lot of people prioritize interceptions over efficiency. But hey, that's an argument that I'm not going to start today <laughs> for all the Cowboys fans listening right now. Uh, but AJ Terrell is just he's he's terrific. And if I needed one corner in the entire league to be my number one right now, it's him. Best argument for him being the defensive player of the year in this division is if he did the exact same thing he did last year. No improvements, right? Played at exactly the same level. He should still win it going away no matter what anybody else does because it's not going to be better than that. Like, that's how well he played last year. And the the buzz, the talk is starting to build. That second-team All-Pro is reflective of that. People go, man, this guy's lights out all the time he doesn't have bad games he never lets anybody off the hook it's not like well come on it's mike evans doesn't matter right plays him twice a year plays him tough um nobody has great days against him and most people have legitimately crappy days against him like three catch days for like 30 yards no touchdowns like that's a that's a decent day against aj terrell a lot of people get shut out. So if he just does exactly what he did last year, he should win it walking away. Uh, offensive Rookie of the Year. You and I each have a different pick for this one. I'm going back to that Falcons well with Drake London for every <laughs> for every reason I've mentioned for the last six months. Um, massive frame, way better feet than given credit for, especially for somebody that big. You can really see the basketball background. Um, especially with the catch and run stuff. Like he's really, really nifty for his size. Great ball skills, great kid. Um, flexibility in terms of playing inside or outside. And I think he's going to be uh, 1B to Kyle Pitts 1A there. And Kyle's orbit, I think, is going to be so great that Drake London's going to get a lot of one-on-ones. And as long as Mariota can throw a nice fade with <laughs> leverage to Drake London, he's going to catch it. So uh, that's that's my pick for offense rookie of the year. Who you got? Yeah, I like Drake London a lot. I think, as opposed to the guy I picked, it's that his adjustment to the league is going to be greater. Because USC, while it was the Drake London show, it was three to four routes on a lot of stuff behind the line. And some Mm -hmm. of that translates to the NFL, but some of it's going to be different. And he is going to have to diversify that. And there's a rookie learning curve. I don't care which rookie you are. The guy I picked is Chris Olave for the Saints because he is so polished. He does run the entire tree. He has played all the way across the field at wide receiver and well. And, oh, yeah, by the way, he's also a ridiculous athlete. He's nowhere near as big as London, but he is as fast faster. Um, He is quicker. He is sharper out of his cuts. He is more polished and machined. And his transition, although he will have one, will be smaller and shorter. Uh, And as long as he can establish a rapport with Jameis, I think his production will be higher sooner and there is kind of a momentum to these awards right if you have a really good month or first two months it's easier for you to hang on than if you have a you know you're not starting for the first five or six games and then you really warm up at the end of the season you turn it on feels like you're chasing um Mm -hmm. the whole time so i think Olave is going to have a pretty solid at least polished if not hot start if he's the hot hand in a couple of games. And again, if people miss tackles, forget it. He's he's a 4-3 guy. Like, he he will go the distance. And he's going to have a couple of those, for sure. Playing indoors, yeah. So I think he's probably going to get a hotter start for both of those reasons. And that that 
counts for something in these races. Uh, the Falcons awards just keep rolling through. Defensive rookie of the year. You and I both agree. Arnold Ebikidi, he's going to be a day one starter because, good Lord, they have almost nobody else. In fact, both him and Malone will probably end up as the main snap getters at edge for this Falcons defense. Um, but Ebikidi is by far the better prospect. He's got length. He's got power. He's got fluidity. He's got burst. He's got everything. And even though he is shorter, that's actually a good thing when it comes to pass rushers because he has the length of somebody who's 6'5", but he's shorter, so he's better natural leverage. So he is, in terms of physical profiles, the number one nightmare for any offensive tackle. Short guys, long arms with burst and bend, they're going to beat you, and they're going to beat you a lot. Um, It is a tall order to say double-digit sack guy, but I think he will be that throughout his career at least for most seasons he's in the league. I think he's going to be one of the top three pass rushers from this entire class. And I think he's going to be as strong a defensive rookie of the year candidate for the entire league, not just the division, uh, as anybody else you're going to find in this class. Yeah, the, the only thing that worries me is not something about him. It's something about his landing spot, something about his team that you mentioned, is that he is by far the best edge rusher that Atlanta has. I would love it if he'd landed in a pairing with somebody else, right, some other rusher that defenses had to concentrate on, like legit had to concentrate on, or better yet, double. That would be ideal. Uh, Atlanta doesn't really have that on the outside, but A.B. Katie has everything you want now Everything you want starts with an athletic profile. You have to check the boxes at that position, especially. If you don't, there are minimums, right? Folks that don't exceed those minimums aren't great pass rushers. He blows all those away. He's also got production. He's got numbers. Now, for coach of the year, we also disagree slightly, but I can absolutely see the argument for either one. We're going right back to the whole Saints first Bucks rivalry, which I think accurately pits the top two teams in this division against each other. It's either going to be the Saints or it's going to be the Bucks. Most likely going to be the Bucks, but the Saints are a thorn in their side. I chose Dennis Allen because the main reason why the Bucks have struggled against the Saints for five years now uh, is because of Dennis Allen. He, his defense has absolutely eviscerated them, whether it was Brady, whether it was Jameis, All of these Hall of Famers on the field for Tampa didn't matter. Dennis Allen's defense just murders them. The only time they lost was in the playoffs, which playoff Tom, yeah, fine. I'll I'll give you that. But in terms of (laughs) the other like eight games that they've played against Dennis Allen's defense in the last four years, they can't beat him. So I think the fact that there is so much carryover with Dennis Allen's staff compared to Sean Payton's staff, like they really didn't change anything. Um, and he's still the guy at the helm of the defense that gives the Bucks so much trouble. Uh, I, I've got him for coach of the year just because as long as he's there, uh, I think Tampa's, they're not going to have great luck against them. Yeah, I struggled with this one. Dennis Allen, I think, might be one of those guys, and we'll see. This is his second bite at the Apple's head coach that some folks are better coordinators. They are just lights out at coordinator they get the head job and the expansion of duties is pretty pretty mind-blowing the the extra stuff you have to do and deal with and know about as a head coach it doesn't let you focus on your job anymore it's the 
It's the definition. It's the anti-focus, right? It's it's everything to distract you. Dennis Allen didn't do great with that last time. Like he he's a far better coordinator at this point than he is head coach. We'll see if he learned from that. Many many folks have. Look at Bill Belichick, right? In his first head coaching job, not great. Second head coaching job, hmm, did a lot better. Pete yeah, Carroll, a little bit. <laughs> Pete Carroll, first head coaching job in the NFL, not great. Goes back to college, gets another swing with Seattle, much better the second time around. Learned his lessons. So maybe Dennis Allen's in that category. Um, but I'm sort of in the wait and see. I'm I'm in I'm Missouri here. I'm in the show me state. Um, you know, can he put together just absolutely locked down defensive performances? Yeah, yeah. He's demonstrated that for years, right? That's not a fluke. He's not some hot young defensive coordinator at this point. It's proven track record against folks that have tape on him, knows what he's bringing, and he's still able to frustrate them. So his, I'm not worried about that part. It's the, nope, the whole the whole circus tense yours now. You're in charge of the whole thing edge to edge. Can you keep that focus on defense and do all the other things as a head guy? Um, we'll see. So I'm going to go with Todd Bowles. It's more the chalk answer. Again, much like the Saints uh, ascended from the staff from within, has been there, understands. Uh, it's not really a new staff. The offensive staff is retained as well. But again, he gets to go back on top, right? He had this chance before, and he gets to sort of be the hand-picked head guy. And he's got the best roster in the division. We've talked about that. Uh, he's got the best quarterback in the division. That's a great help in the modern NFL. And if he holds things together, it's always a challenge to do that in the NFL, especially as a head coach, is, is keep everything clicking through all the ups and downs of a season. I think he's got the best chance to do that. And if he does, I think he'll get the nod. So I'm going with Todd Bowles. Division winner. <laughs> this will be quick. Tampa Bay. <laughs> Tampa Bay. You know, we, as long we, as Tom uh, stays upright, it's Tampa Bay. It's Tampa Bay. You know, we talked about them being somebody who we expect to be in the Final Four. Uh, we expect for them to to win this division as well. Best quarterback, um, best roster. You think best coach? Strong draft, strong free agency period. I mean, there is there is no reason for us to to pick any other team but Tampa Bay. Now doesn't mean that the Saints won't ruin the party in the playoffs, but in terms of uh, who has the pole position going into the playoffs, I think Tampa's hosting that playoff game. They're not playing that one on the road. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to say fairly easy division to predict because, again, the Saints are the ultimate wild card, but I think Tom Brady is very easy to feel comfortable with as the guy you bet on, and that's why they are, you go to any sports book out there, the Bucks are one of the the chalkiest of the chalk Super Bowl bets out there because it's fucking Tom Brady. Like, why would you bet anybody else? Because you wanted to lose money. Um, <laughs> Tom's real good at taking your money if you want to bet on other people, especially if you tell him about it. Uh, he'll make sure you lose your money because that's just that's just how he rolls. There could be some flip-flopping in the middle of the division we talked about. We could see the Saints and the Falcons jockeying for position based on what happens with the quarterbacking, with the you know coaching staffs, with how the new players in those locker rooms gel. We could see them going back and forth, and you know one or the other could end up in second place. Wouldn't surprise me a bit. I don't think Carolina is going to overtake either of them for third place, and it really is third place. They, I don't believe the Panthers have a legitimate shot at 
anything better than third place in this division. And it's probably not that close. So in terms of easy, maybe it feels again right now in the middle of the summer when we're recording this, the most predictable or one of the most predictable divisions. But the NFL has a way of turning things on its head every year uh, and sort of putting aside the best laid predictions pretty quickly. Well, that'll do it. Two divisions down, six to go. We are 25% of the way through these uh, division slash team previews. It's been a wild ride so far, and we are just getting started. I can't believe that this is actually working out. Uh, Our editor, Jay, is a fucking rock star, getting these episodes out every single day. Ten of them, (laughs) ten in ten days at this point. I mean, he's... He's insane. So Jay, if you're if you're watching and listening to this, thank you for everything you do. Thank you to everybody who's watching and subscribing. Uh, remember, we have uh, some contests going for new subscribers right now for uh, jerseys. So check the comment section down below for that, uh, as well as check our Twitter because we're going to be giving away several jerseys for new subscribers. If you want in on that, of course, click like and subscribe while you're here. And, uh, yeah, with that, we'll be back next week with the AFC East starting off with the New York Jets. That's coming out on Monday, same time, same place. And until then, later. Take care. Powerful as Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to 1 gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.